And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about infertility and adoption. Today we're going to be talking about making the decision to become an older mom. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Infertility and Adoption Education and Support Nonprofit. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. We've recently published a multimedia guide on how to choose an infertility clinic. It is chock full of really valuable information, questionnaires, guide sheets, tip sheets, uh, all sorts of things that will help make this decision so much easier. You can find it on our website, creatingafamily.org. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our weekly e-newsletter. We let you know about the latest developments in infertility and adoption, as well as the new resources we add to our site each week. Please sign up at the top right-hand side of any page of our website. This show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Faring is pleased to offer their IVF green light program, providing discounts of up to 50% on select IVF products. All cash-paying patients are eligible, and unlike other programs, there are no financial requirements. You can get more information at ivfgreenlight.com, or you can speak with your physician to get more information as well. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support from our goal sponsors, who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to those struggling to create a family. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Fairfax Cryobank. They have been a leader in sperm donation for over 25 years and are dedicated to supplying updated, verified, and accurate medical and personal information on their donors. We also have the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson, a South Carolina firm committed to both adoption as well as assisted reproductive law, including providing a gestational surrogacy matching program. Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey is a recognized scientific and patient care leader in the field of infertility. With 10 offices and 21 physicians throughout New Jersey, they maintain an IVF delivery rate well above the national average. And Manhattan Cryobank, they are dedicated to helping clients have healthy babies by analyzing a client's DNA in combination with the DNA of prospective sperm donors to provide the client with a personalized catalog of safer donor matches. This show, as I was mentioning at the top, whether to become an older mom. And what I particularly enjoyed about this show is it is this show is an interview with a panel of moms who have become moms in their 40s. We're going to be talking about uh, the advantages, the disadvantages, uh, what methods they use to achieve their dreams of parenthood, and also what are some of the unique issues that older moms face and things that people who are, who are considering uh, parenthood in their 40s should be thinking about ahead of time. 
This show is re-airing of a show we did a couple of years ago. It has been a very popular show, and we wanted to bring it back to you now. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I have. Welcome, Lisa, Molly, Kathy, and Julia to Creating a Family. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm looking forward to this show as well. Um, I think in general, uh, infertility patients uh, tend to be older when they get pregnant. Obviously, they have uh, usually been in treatment for a while and have struggled trying to conceive before even that. And the same could be said with adoptive parents. Um, But we get a lot of questions from people, uh, both on our online uh, support community, um, as well as just throughout the social networks and emails, of people Thinking about becoming a parent, but 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 knowing that their age may be a factor, and and worrying about the issues that may may arise. So I'm I'm really looking forward to talking with you guys because you're of the been there done that contingent. One of the questions that you've probably all received is, why did you wait until your 40s or 50s to become a mother? Uh, Julia, let me ask. Start that with you. You waited until you were 50, or you may have conceived at 49. But anyway, you were 50 when your child was born. So uh, why wait that long? Well, I'm in a kind of unique situation. Well, less and less unique. Um, I'm in a same-sex marriage, and first, I hadn't found the right partner yet, and second, um, in Tennessee, being a gay parent um, has in the past been grounds for losing your child, Um, and I never felt really safe until until I met my wife, Lisa, and... um, and we decided to move forward. Plus, um, egg egg donation when you're using a live donor is extraordinarily expensive and difficult, and the technology has improved substantially in the last few years, so now we have egg banks, just like we had sperm banks. Mm -hmm. So it was a a much more feasible thing to do. And more economical, right? Yeah. Um, Kathy, what about you? You were 41 when you adopted, which in the world of adoption is not really considered much older, but then you adopted again two more children in the same year when you were 45. Why did you wait until 41 and and, and 45 uh, to start your family? Well, uh, mainly it's the history of my family, I think, more than anything else. And uh, I did want to correct one thing. I'm actually not married. Uh, So you're a single mom. I'm a single mom, but I do have my mother living with me. So we're not. I'm not doing this by myself, but uh, but I'm not doing it with a a partner. Okay, um, yeah, that's important because okay. I think that there are different issues, right? They are. Uh, I am an only child and an only grandchild, and I was in facing really having not a whole lot of family, and uh, I had been tinkering with adoption. I really wanted to do it, but I wasn't kind of getting there. And I guess when you turn forty, it's one of those milestone birthdays. Um, it got me serious. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that happens to a lot of people. Where all of a sudden, a, a, a birthday with a zero on it um, does get our attention. Um, Molly, what about you? You adopted through foster care. You were fortunate and had an infant, uh, replaced an infant. Why did you wait uh, to forty-five to consider adoption? We didn't really wait. We had been pursuing international adoption after we recognized that some fertility issues we were having and the treatment for the fertility issues would have taken a lot of money and a lot of time and and quite frankly a lot of uh, pain. So we opted for adoption, which 
had always been in my plan, but I was glad to have my, bring my husband along at that point. We pursued several international adoptions and got really close several, several times just to have the door to the country be, be closed for inter- governmental reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you were right in that time that frame, way. weren't you? Yeah, were a lot we, of folks. We really were. Yeah, yeah, it was very painful. Um, so we we were we moved back to our home state, and I said, you know, why don't we just try this foster adoption? We might not get a baby, but it, we have experience with teens, so let's just let's just jump in with both feet. And about two weeks after our our last class and our all of our paperwork was through and we were approved, we received the call. And here she is. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and we were very lucky, we know. <laughs> yeah, well, and Lisa, how about you? You were 44 when you adopted, mm-hmm. I think it's your son, right? Yeah. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it sounds like um, on the panel I'm the one that had the most traditional <laughs> route to um, to later motherhood and that I just, you know, I'm a late bloomer altogether, so I... Um, married late, I went back to graduate school late, um, and then we started, you know, after I finished the um, sort of the class portion of my graduate program, I felt more comfortable um, becoming, potentially becoming pregnant, and uh, because I wouldn't have to travel back and forth to class all the time. So um, we tried fertility treatments first. They are, as others have said, extremely expensive, time-consuming, and painful. Um, and for us, they didn't work. So we tried a lot of different things. And that takes time. Um, and so towards the end of that process, um, kind of started thinking a little bit more about adoption. Hadn't really considered it um, and up until the point where it looked like we weren't going to be able to have biological children. And um, then decided to kind of move forward um, with international adoption. And we chose Korea for a host of reasons. Um and that was a long wait as well. We, we were sort of caught in a, a changing timeline in that program. Somebody had alluded to earlier to, to uh, countries closing, and that certainly happens in Korea, is, is in fact um, adopting fewer and fewer children out of the country as time goes by. And so it took a little longer for us to actually, um, uh, our son's arrival took a lot longer than we anticipated. So we were in the process for quite a while. Yeah, I think that's actually a story for um, a lot of people, especially with international adoption. Well, both, actually. Yeah, all types of adoption, really, that it takes longer than they had originally anticipated. So we often hear that one of the uh, concerns that people have is their energy level and whether they feel that they have the energy to devote to young parenting, uh, parenting young children, uh, toddlers, infants, staying up at night, things such as that. And and, and also, uh, you know, with the, uh, any additional, if your child has uh, special needs or your child is born premature, all of that is, 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 is a further energy drain on the, on the parents. Molly, it, it, you were 45 and with a newborn. Did you find, was energy a something you worried about and, and in reality, did it, was it something that you were did the did your concerns come to fruition, or do you feel like energy really is not a concern? I think it is a concern, and I was just going to have a little fun and tell you that I live on Red Bull, so <laughs> I, <completely. laughs> um, I think it is a concern. It was a big concern of mine whether I'd have the energy in the 
be able to be as the fun mom I wanted to be. I wanted to take some bike riding and swimming and running and and play. And I think, to be honest, I haven't seen a drop off. I have the the good fortune of being a mom to a very hyperactive young girl. And it's not just me that says so. So she's not just hyperactive in comparison to my myself, my old age self. But she <laughs> she's very very active and, and very quick. So I have a runner on my hands. But and I've so far I've been able to keep up with her at least mentally and physically. I think one thing it's done for me is remind me after all those years in corporate America and living a too sedentary life that. I really do love to get out and play and exercise and and have more fun. So it's it's reintroduced me to getting more physically fit. And for for that I thank her, but um I'll catch her one day, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe when she's sleeping till noon and 14. Yeah, yeah that's when maybe you'll Someday, yeah. right. But yeah, but someday. as far as you know, do you do you get up for the babies for the feedings and and I don't think it took any more toll on myself than it does the younger gals. I don't think it makes any difference to age because we love our babies, we love our kiddos, and, and we'll get up and do everything that's necessary for them. Julia, as uh, a uh, a pregnant and then just having given birth mom at 50 with a, a newborn, how did you find the uh, the energy how was your energy, and how is it compared to other moms of of newborns and and eighteen month old toddlers? Well, I don't have a lot of um, other moms of um, little tiny ones in my life. I think that's one of the things that that we really do sacrifice because our peers don't have these little bitty ones. But on the energy question, I don't think I have less energy now than I had when I was twenty something. I think I just focus it better. When I was 20-something, it was, oh, i got to go to this concert, and i got this paper to write, and oh, my goodness, I forgot to do blah, blah, blah. And now I know how to organize myself. I know how to use my energy appropriately. And I'm not having a problem with the energy. And that, and that says a lot because you've got your, your – it's a son, right? You have a son? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, your son is Luke. is at at the the stage where he's moving a lot. Um, you yeah. know, infants yeah. you may uh, infants may keep you up at night and make you tired, but they tend to stay put, uh, which is yeah. a little different. Yeah, I'm um, Julia. I was glad that you raised the issue about being um, out of step with your peers, both your both your friends that you had before you had children, and also the parents of your of your children's friends. Um, Kathy, have you experienced uh, the fact that, or, or maybe ask, do you, is your peer group, the peer group you had before, we're going to break this question up into into both of those being out of step issues. One, your peer group before you had children, has that stayed the same now? Are, were any of your friends also young moms when you became a mom, or have you had to create a new peer group? Uh I pretty much had to create a new peer group. Uh, I have, I've retained all my friends. It's not that I haven't. It's just that, you know, I can't be called up on Sunday at 1 and say, can you go somewhere on Sunday at 2? Um, mm-hmm. No, I can't. So what I can do now in terms of social activities is very different. 
um, you would, you know, never have found me at soccer practice when my kid, my friends' kids were all at soccer practice. It was a foreign idea, but now I'm at soccer practice every week. Uh, fortunately, at those events, the parents don't really care how old you are, and I've gotten some wonderful friends through those activities. Yeah, that's really... so our children do pull us into um a whole a whole new world and 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 there may be friendships of convenience but that that counts. Lisa, what about what's been your experience with you were 44 and I assume mm-hmm. you had a contingent of friends at that point. Um mm-hmm. did any of them have younger children um and and how has your becoming a parent at 44 affected your ongoing friendships, the ones that you mm-hmm. had before? So, uh I sort of have two groups of friends, um, many of them are, are my age, and then I actually was fortunate far before we got, uh, you know, we had children. When I started graduate school, most of my compatriots, all of my classmates, were about 10 years younger than I. So I, it's interesting because I have a group of friends who have teenagers or older at this point. Certainly I'm old enough to have children who have children of their own. Um, and then I have a group of people who really we're parenting, we're co-parenting along with them. We have the same age children. Um, a lot of family members also have similar age children. So for me, you know, I think I felt more out of step um, before we had kids in that uh, I had a whole contingent of friends who, um, you know, had small children and then elementary age children, and I sort of felt like uh, a little bit left out of that and not understanding it. So it's it's and, – and yet I have them now to turn to – to see what happens later, <laughs> and then I also mm-hmm. have my friends who um, who are parenting similar age children uh, as I. And I think you know anybody, I think anybody that's in a situation that goes through an adoption or goes through fertility treatments has to be a resourceful kind of person, or you'd sort of give up. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sorry. No, we were agreeing. Agree. <laughs> yeah, and so I think that that I think perhaps that. Uh, Growing that resourcefulness over time and through these issues makes it a little bit easier, first of all, to feel out of step because I guess, you know, you're doing this in a non-traditional way anyway, so you just grow to be comfortable with that. But also because you've learned to be resourceful, you learn to find friends and you learn to make connections where you need to make them. Julia, do you, you said that you don't have many in your peer group who uh, have young children. Um, does that make you and your partner feel like you are having to, are you actively seeking, we've got to find new friends, to, we've got to find people to do stuff with that we can do with our child? Or are you, are your friends, have they kind of rallied around and and, uh, and cur- invite you to what you can do and, and exclude you for those that you, the, the activities that you cannot? Oh, they really do um, try to include us as much as possible. And um, sometimes we have to educate them a little bit. You know, dinner at 8 o'clock is probably going to be intolerable with a toddler in tow. Um, <laughs> breakfast is fine. We'll be great at breakfast. Um, but we are having to build new new connections and new friendships. And we expect that to get easier as he becomes more social. He's right on the cusp of having activities like soccer and other things that he'll be involved in with other kids. Um, when they're little babies, there's just not that that opportunity to bond with other parents um, because your kids aren't doing social things. 
No, that's yeah. You don't have it. Right. Even the mommy and me type of things will get you out and around other moms of young of infants. But he's a little on yeah. the yeah on the young side. Kathy, have you found that you do you feel different from the parents of your uh, of your children's friends? Do you feel like you have much in common with them, given that you're likely I don't know what ten years older than many of them, maybe even more, I suppose. You know, it's not the age gap that interests me. It's the background of my children. Uh-huh. Um, I I have to be conscious a lot of the time um, for when an adoption issue will come up. Um, you know, that whole thing of sharing baby pictures. I have two kids I don't have baby pictures of mm-hmm. that I will never get baby pictures for. I have, you know, one child who will sit in class and they'll say, well, where are you born? And we'll be going around the state here. And he'll put up his hand and say, I was born in Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, there's just differences there. And you have to be really sensitive to when those are not important and when they are. Mm-hmm. And that makes you feel out of step with the parents of, of your children's uh, friends. Sometimes. I mean, it can. Particularly my younger son came, um, I adopted him when he was uh, 20 months old, and he came from an environment with neglect and trauma. And so I'll be doing things with him to deal with that that, you know, other parents simply never encounter, and you really can't share a conversation about it because it doesn't have any, they don't have any background in Mm -hmm. it. Um, so you do have to, and in situations like that, you do also have to find other resources for people who do have a background in that so that you can have that conversation. But it's not its not the fault of anybody. It's mm-hmm. not really a problem. Really it's, just a, it's just, it is the reality. It's yeah. just the reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are listening to Creating a Family. Today we're talking about becoming a first-time mom over the age of 40 Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. There is our Facebook page, of course, which you can find uh, facebook.com slash creatingafamily. We also have a very large and active Facebook support group. It is a closed group, so you have to request to join, and we have to approve you, which we will. Um, The easiest way to find that support group is to type in the words creating a family in the Facebook search box. The page and the group will pop up. You can like the page and join the group. Or you can connect with me individually on Facebook, and that's dawn.davenport1. I'm sorry, dawn.davenport1 on Facebook. We also uh, have an account on Pinterest and Google Plus and Twitter, and we are creating a family at all of those. So you can find us that way. You know, I'd like to talk a little about the financial aspects of of becoming an uh, an older parent, and it seems to me that it can cut both ways. One, you're probably more financially secure than you were in your twenties and, and early thirties, but you also have fewer years to save and prepare for the future. So it's it, I I can't help but think that it's a it's a double-edged sword in 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 that in that uh, uh, in that way, Julia. How have you uh, analyzed it? Uh, I know you well enough to know that you do analyze, <laughs> so I you do. do think things through. So, uh, how did you factor that in when you made the decision the first time, and how are you factoring in it now when you're thinking of doing it again? 
the first time it was such an emotional experience and um and we were looking at the cost of conception um and we were lucky that our fertility clinic worked with a company that provides um uh, financing um at about the same rate that you would finance a new car so we and the cost was about the same so we decided you know one less car in our lives okay um so that that emotional part of it um we got past and i don't think we were i think we had blinders on and didn't think about oh wow we're taking on the cost of raising a child when most people are you know funding their retirement funds um because we wanted this so badly um and i think we were kind of blinded and i think a lot of par- parents are um the second child that's a whole different matter because we're looking at you know are we sacrificing things for our first child in order to have a second child and is that fair to him in addition to is that fair to us for our retirement plans yeah i think that's real and and you know the reality of paying for college at the time when you're on social security and it it's yeah. just how you how you think in terms of what you need to save in order to be financially secure uh, as well as to meet your um your obligations. Lisa, what thoughts have you had in uh you also are contemplating uh, another mm-hmm. adding another child? Um what how have you analyzed the finances both the first time when you were 44 and now when mm-hmm. you would be 46 or 47 by the time you or probably even a little older if by the time you if you adopt from Korea. Yeah, probably almost yeah. 50, yeah. Um yeah. so it's we we used to joke that we have already spent our first child's uh, college education trying to get our first child. And I think that's actually a really accurate um, assessment for us anyway, because we went through fertility treatments that, and not all states cover fertility treatments and um, um, much of ours was not. Um, We uh, both got second jobs and we both uh, barred from family um, to make all of this kind of thing happen. And I think that um, Julia's right. It's a very emotional decision. Um, and we decided, you know, this was more important to us than than the retirement fund at this point. Um, but we are, now that we have a child, we are in a slightly, as Julia said, a very different, not slightly, diff, very different position. Um, and we, we are trying to determine whether or not that's a viable option for us. I think the emotions were so overwhelming um, the first time, and we, were, we did, hadn't spent the entire college education uh, uh, as yet. But now we have, and so we have to make sure that we can um, provide for the child that we already have um, in addition to hopefully ourselves so he doesn't have to support us in our old age and then, uh, you know, have enough um, to provide um, equivalently for for any future children. So it's something that uh, I think it's not a strictly financial decision um, which complicates matters. And uh, I think everybody has their own um, own way of thinking about it and own their own priorities. And there's lots of different ways um, to go about it. Um, adoption and fertility treatments cost very differently depending on kind of what the parameters are. And so everybody has to make the best choice for themselves. But we certainly it's a, it certainly has been something that's been. Um, di- a difficult thing to contemplate, and I remember, particularly during the fertility treatments after the third time, um, going through it, going through IVF, thinking, 
how how painful it was that money was going to be the thing that was going to prevent us ultimately from potentially having a family. That piece mm-hmm. was very, very, very painful. Um, but it's a reality both for fertility treatments and for adoption for many people. Well, and I think that the distinction, too, when you're contemplating it in your 40s, mid to late 40s, is you're having to think, okay, I only have X number of years left with which to uh, save for our retirement. And and as you point out, oftentimes you've spent your retirement money on infertility treatment or mm-hmm. on the adoption. And so you're thinking, well, you know, when you're in your late 20s, Number one, you you think you have forever, but but even and even though you don't have forever, you do have a long time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kathy, what about you? You contemplated this and did it as a single mom. Um, and so, how did you analyze the? How much do I need to have saved to take care of myself versus how much am I going to uh, need to spend in raising in, in raising my kids? At least with the first one, I don't think I spent as much time as as I, I did on the second two. Um, well, you were four years again, older too. Yeah. Well, yeah, but more that whole emotion thing in the first one goes in very much, very emotional experience. Your first adoption, and uh, just you know figuring out how to get to Kazakhstan was a, a challenge. Um, so figuring out where Kazakhstan uh, was on the map might have been right, <laughs> and you know how much it was going to cost us to get there. Um, was uh, and we were there for 53 days, so just the cost of all of that was an interesting experience. Uh, when I got home, of course, I totaled it all up, and I knew exactly what I had spent. And uh, so when I went into the next one, I knew a lot more about what I was doing. I also, of course, have been very lucky. My mother's been in on this with me, so we have done a lot of things to reduce expenses, like live together. And go down to one car for a long time. We only just recently went back up to two. Um, I changed jobs to work from home so that we could further limit any type of sitter expenses we had. We just don't use them most of the time. Um, We changed our vacation plans to dramatically reduce the amount of money we spent on those. I mean, there was a lot that went into feeling comfortable that that I would still be saving for retirement while still doing the whole family thing, and it's an ongoing process. We reevaluate it every few months. Are we doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. And, and, where, and what do I need and what do I need to, to live on and that type of stuff, yeah. Okay. Yep. I'd like to take a moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors. It is through their generous support that we can bring you this show, as well as all the other resources, and our website, our videos, our support group, and things such as that. We have Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. We have Spence Chapin. They are a full-service adoption agency bringing over 100 years of experience to a new direction. They are creating permanent loving homes for children most in need, older kids, siblings, children with special needs. Spence Chapin has eliminated the financial barrier by providing no-fee adoption services for families who can consider opening up their lives and their hearts to this very special population. You know, as much as, and and I'm right there with you guys, so I'm going to say I want to believe um, very much that age is, is just a number. 
but I know that it isn't. I know that I only have, you know, I've only been allocated so many uh, years on this earth, and I, uh, as much as I don't want to think about it or uh, contemplate it, it is the reality. And and how? But but I think when you take on a young child when you are in your forties or fifties, uh, you have to start assessing age in a different manner. How did you work out in your mind? And in your life, the question of is it fair to your child to have him or her or to adopt him or her at an, at an, at an older age? Molly, how did you work that that question, which I think is a universal question that all parents who are uh, all older parents have to consider? I, You're exactly right. I've had a lot of moments of guilt wondering if maybe my age it would hamper my daughter's life, quality of life, the fun that she's able to have or the exposure she's able to have. Um, and you know, especially in, in my circumstances, because she was born to another local set of parents who are unable to care for her, there is still a, a little bit of guilt in my my situation, wondering if maybe had they been able to erase some of their bad behavior or or uh, manage things a little bit better if they might be more active than I am. Um, but working, looking through that, I think there's a lot that I can give her because of my age. I'm a much calmer parent, and especially uh, in her hyperactive mode, that's what she needs. She needs someone to calm her down. I, I think I. I've been able to travel, been lucky enough to travel a lot in my life, and so I'm I'm planning on giving her that as soon as she's able to appreciate a little bit more things. I'm very excited about being able to open up the world to her. My parents were a little bit older when they adopted me. They were in their they were 35, which back in that time period was old mm. for yeah, parenting. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, funny. Yes. Yeah, and I I do remember you know once or twice it coming up that maybe. My dad no longer wanted to ride the roller coaster with me. Uh, but for the most part, I think older parents tend to have a better grasp on their on their world. Their little things don't phase us like we used to because our car has already broken down before. We know how to handle it. We just make a phone call. Or we, we prepare for life's events a little bit better. Or we have, um, we have some checks and balances in place already that I think younger parents may not. So, and... I, for one, know when I need a little more help. And I know had I been a younger parent, I might not have been able to reach out and ask for it like I am now. I'm willing to throw in the towel a little bit f- faster than I used to. <laughs> or at least ask ask for some support. But particularly with uh, a child of my daughter's behavior levels, I, sometimes that's necessary to reach out for other other ideas. And for the rest of you on the panel, I want you to be thinking of some advantages that you have found as well. But before we, because I do want to, um, that was actually a question that I was I was going to ask, and we'll kind of list them off. But before we, we do that, Lisa, how did, I want to hear from each of you actually, uh, how you balanced in your mind the, the fairness issue, because I hear that a lot. That The energy and fairness are the two things that, that we hear, if when we get questions, they seem to kind of revolve around those two issues the most. So, um, so Lisa, how did you assess whether the is this fair to our son? You know, with us being um, in our forties when we're st- when we when we start with him. 
Um, I think the first time uh, I had a very different sort of viewpoint than I do now. I'm, I'm more concerned about that for any future children that we might have um, because we would be <clears throat> significantly older than the yeah. child. Um, yeah, you'll be fifty. If, if, probably, if given the the nature of right, forty six now. Given the nature of right. and your child, but your child will probably be about two. So uh, I mean, probably probably older than that. They're coming home two and a half, three. It okay, might be even four yeah. by that point. But yes, we would. It would still be a, a child that started out running, <laughs> like this one did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we went from yeah. zero to running. But yeah, yes. yes, that's a certain amount of energy, and and you have to think, kind of in the future, am I going to be able to sustain that? And I really, honest, honestly, wasn't. We were not all that concerned about it the first time. I really felt very strongly that um, what we could provide a child would far outweigh kind of the the concerns about um, being sort of too slow or too uninvolved. I think by the well, time... When are you thought, going to die? Are you, I mean, I'm actually trying right. to get at the... Not when you're going to die. I'm not asking that question. Sure, sure. You know, but at, well, uh, I can you tell know, you that. I'd, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you like to... You know, no, I wouldn't like to. Right. But nonetheless, I mean, it's more the... Will I be around till my child is eighteen? Will I be around right. when my child's twenty-one? You know, right. uh, you know that that's more the issue, not so much the energy, mm-hmm. but the am I going to be there to see my child graduate from college and that type right. of question. And, and I think everybody has to go based on kind of their own family history and um, their own health level. And we felt relatively confident that we'd be there through at least that, but certainly it's something that crossed our minds. Um, and we have made sure to have um, people in place in the event that we're not. Um, and it was something that we thought about perhaps much much earlier on than, uh, than parents who are younger or parents who um, just have sort of normal traditional pregnancies do. Um, I think we spent a fair bit of time um, discussing it and thinking about uh, about what that would mean for him, how it will feel to have to be in class with his little friends and then have the oldest parents in the room. You know, that can that can make you feel like you're standing out a little bit in a case where, you know, with adopted children and particularly in our case, transracial adoption, where you're already sticking out a little bit, being a little bit different. So, yeah, certainly we've, we've thought about it and ultimately we decided um, to move forward. But I think for us, um, with our with the potential for an increased age with a second adoption, it's something that we're considering much more as, as to be a much larger piece of the potential puzzle. Yeah, and I can see that. On, because On our side, before. Go ahead. it kind of mitigates in favor of having the second child um, because if, if, if we die at, you know, a normal age, mm. then our child will have somebody else in his life. Right. He won't be all alone. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point, and that's something I hear a lot. That was Julia speaking. You're ex, uh, you are exactly right. The thought of I want my child to have a family, and I won't be that family. You know, realistically, when my child is forty, you know, I may not be here. So therefore, I want to have my child have a family. That's an interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Kathy, what about you? Well, I'm sitting here listening, and I'm kind of somewhere in between. I think. Um, First of all, I don't think I really I, – I worry sometimes about whether I'm going to be there when they're 21 or 25, but my family tends to be fairly long alive. My mother's doing fine at 77 right now. Um, so I don't try and spend a lot of time on that. It's kind of out of my control anyway, so um, that can just drive up the nervous level, I think. But I also know that being a parent now, 
I have more time to spend being a parent. I have a job that's very stable, that has very consistent working hours, that has flex time. I can be mom whenever I need to be mom. And I don't think in my 20s and 30s I would have been able to do that. would have been a lot more juggling. I was working outside the home then. There was just different stuff going on. I feel like, and maybe it's just an ego thing, I feel like I'm a better parent now than I would have been then. I will also say that the question of whether your kids are better off with you than where they were before, and for at least two of my kids, they clearly are better off here than they were before. My daughter was adopted at birth and came from a teenage family, teenage parents who are not together anymore. They might have been okay. We don't know a lot, I mean, other than that they were about 16. But but my younger son was neglected and my older son was in an orphanage. Whatever limitations I have as a parent, I'm better than what that was. And I do think you have to say, whatever age you are, are you still doing something that is in the best interest of the child? And clearly, yes, in those cases. You know, I wonder if how you how all of you factored in the age you're going to be when your child is a teen or in college. Mm-hmm. And and I, I it's it's one thing to parent an infant, but another thing completely <clears throat> to be the parent of a teen. And I speak as someone who truly likes adolescence and, and I've worked with years with teens for in various capacities and I'm now parenting teens. So I, I speak as someone who actually finds that age wonderful i for the most part there are moments but uh, but for the most part i i truly like it but i i also acknowledge that it brings on uh it requires a different type of parenting for sure um and uh so i'm 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 wanting to explore that how you how you thought about that or if you thought about that uh, uh when you were making the decision let's start with you julia because you're going to be um, close to, let's say, 70. You'll be in your late, well, yeah. with the second one, you'll be in your 70 when they're teens, but you know, with your, yeah. in the late 60s, okay, um, when, you, when you have Part of it is a math thing, you know, because I gave birth at, at an age that it's easy to add things to, um, you know, 50. <laughs> so now, any time I hear, it was handy, yeah. Any time I hear anybody mention anything about their age, I think, wow, Luke will be, 22. Like when you mentioned your mom being 72 and having great energy, I thought, wow, Luke will be 22 when I'm 72. So I automatically think that about everything. Um, it's so real. And it's so real. It's very real. Um, you know, and kind of like you were saying that um, you know your kids are in a better situation than they would have been had you not adopted them. You know, my kid wouldn't exist had I not brought him into the world. So I've got to think that the life he has is better than not having any life at all. Um, so I kind of come back to that as well. The hard issue for me now is that we have two frozen embryos still, and do do I bring those children into our family and knowing that I'll be in my 70s when they graduate from high school or do I allow them to be adopted by another family who would bring them up 
presumably a younger couple. Um, and how do mm-hmm. how do I make that work? That's that's, that's yeah. the fairness thing that I'm struggling with right there. Um, yeah, what's that's fair really, to them. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, uh, dilemma, and I can see. Yeah, Lisa, how about you? You are uh, contemplating it again. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think in terms of, or how do you think when you think in terms of of the of the issue of how old you'll be when they are sure teenagers and beyond? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let me tell you, um, early adulthood be- too, because my experience has been my. I guess I have teens as well as as young ad, early adult children and uh, early adulthood children in early adulthood. Anyway, th- although they may or may not acknowledge it, they need me quite a bit too. <laughs> sure. Well, it's certainly something that we thought about actually from the jump, and we actually chose our adoption agency because they spoke about adoption kind of being a, a lifelong issue, and because they talked about our potential children as teenagers and young adults and the issues they might face there. I think a lot of people, particularly people who are first um, uh, thinking about adoption, tend to think about newborns and how adorable they'll be and, and maybe mm-hmm. even toddlers. But it's you really have to start to think because they're going to be people at some point um, with lives of their own and thoughts of their own. Um, so it's something that we, we contemplated um, kind of from the jump thinking about how how we were going to kind of manage that, and I suspect we'll manage it in much the same way that most people do, is, which is by the seat of our pants and figure it out as we go mm-hmm. along. Having said that, we do have other friends who've been through it before. The one issue that I think for me I find the most daunting is the issue of the rapidly changing technology and the way in which people communicate mm-hmm. and the recognition that it's changed so rapidly from the time for example, uh, since I was 25, uh, and I imagine it will, you know, change again that much by the time my kid gets, gets to be, you know, middle teenager. And uh, I worry that I'm going to be so far out of the loop that they're going to be, uh, that I won't know what I don't know. And that there's going to be a pretty big disconnect at that point in how he experiences the world in that way and the way that I choose to experience the world. There are going to be things that I just, I really don't get. Um, And so as a result, I've tried to stay relatively on top of all of that stuff. Um, You know, I have friends um, who are in early in graduate school or in college, and I do try and, and stay in touch with that kind of the things that they're interested in, how they communicate. That piece of it does worry me a bit, I have to say. The rest of it, I think, you know, we'll figure out like people have done for millennia. But this is all so new all the time that it really is going to take some work to keep up with it and to make sure that I'm connected um, and understanding what's going on in his world. Does that make sense? You know, it does make sense, but I would say that that's a but that's a doable thing. Uh, you know, I think that it, I hope so. It, 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 I think it absolutely is. And I, the interesting thing is that we always hear the 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 kind of the cliche that that children will keep you young, and but I actually believe that they do. I I think mm-hmm. that uh, I, I it's not that I'm trying to be naive to the realities of age. Age is age. Okay, I, I get that, but I also think. I wasn't particularly an older mom, but I also wasn't a, you know, my, my kids were spread out over 10 years. And so by the time the last one came along, I certainly wasn't a young mom. And 
honestly, I think that, Julia, when you're, I mean, you will be a younger 72-year-old. You will be because mm-hmm. you will be with a foot very firmly in the world of, in that case, college. And you, the technology thing, I think that having children that age will absolutely keep you, because if nothing else, you need to know what, you have a vested interest in keeping up with it. Plus, you're going to be paying for right. it, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you'll be, you will know more than most of your peer group, which will actually make you feel very cool, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm planning on it. I do think it takes a, a a special kind of person. I think if one of your strengths is openness already and that you're comfortable t- doing different sorts of things, and learning new things, I think this is a lot easier. If you're one of those kind of people that likes to stay within their comfort zone and not be challenged to learn new things, then being an older parent is going to be really hard. Mm-hmm. Well, but don't you think to a certain extent that people who are considering adoption or fertility treatment in their mid to late 40s are already open to new things. I mean, really? <laughs> you know, I most do. people who I do. I think, I think it's kind of self-selecting. Yeah. I, yeah, I think there's a self-selecting thing as well going on there. You are listening to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. We're so glad to have you with us on this Creating Creating a Family show when we're talking about becoming a first-time mom over the age of 40. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletters. We let you know about the latest developments in the world of infertility and adoption, as well as the upcoming week's blog and show topic. And we add four pieces of content, new content, to our site every week, and we'll keep you up to date on what what we've added, because some of it may be really helpful for you. Uh, We'd love to have you sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can uh, do that on any of the pages of our website, creatingafamily.org. You know, I, I, it occurs to me that I have neglected to ask each of you. Uh, I, uh, Kathy, I know you. You're the person who is your partner. Is I think you said 77. Your mom, so she is not younger. But it, it occurs to me that I did never ask the rest of you uh, what your husband or partners, uh, what age they are. Lisa, how old is is your husband? My husband is only three months younger than I. So we are okay. So same we're, age. we're in the same space. Yep. Yeah, Molly. How about you? My husband is five years younger than I, but has a lot less energy. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> well, that matters, actually. But yeah. from the, I, I think it also probably in some level you think in terms of, okay, you know, how old will I be when? Well, you know, he will be five years younger. Julia, how old is yes. your partner? Yes. She's two years younger, and she's already raised two kids. We have a 22-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old son. And um, and that's a wonderful thing because when I freak out, she can go. You know, they do this. <laughs> She's the voice of experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, that is a that is a nice uh, you know a, a, a nice combination, and to have somebody who can say, "All right, you know, really, honestly, I swear, at some point he will be potty trained." Um, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a moment to uh, talk about some of the advantages. Uh, we've we've talked about some of the things, not necessarily disadvantages, but things you do have to kind of think through, uh, issues that may or may not come up. But let's talk about some of the advantages. Some that have been thrown out have been calmer, um, having had more life experiences, uh, and the um, uh, and perhaps some money to to indulge in some of these experiences with your child, so you can be able to provide your child with more experiences. Um, Let's see, uh, maybe a, a little calmer. Well, we talked about that, yeah. 
uh, more able to ask for help, stable jobs, more time. Lisa, can you think of any uh, additional things that you think are an advantage to being your age with a four-year-old, 46 with a four-year-old? Sure. Um, yeah, I think for me, the and it's partly to do with age, but also partly to do with the process that we went to to, to get to our child, is the extraordinary, extraordinary level of gratitude that I have about being a parent in the first place. Um, mm. So the fact that I am truly actively aware and grateful for being a parent every day lets there's so much stuff that doesn't phase me doesn't bother me doesn't you know that doesn't really stress me out that I can the fact that I can be here in the first place that I can be someone's parent in the first place is amazing and as a result I think both my husband and I are really um, extremely present with our child um, and really noticing all of the cool stuff that happens um, and really grateful for it. So I think that just uh, being an older parent and having to go through fertility treatments or adoption um, puts you in a different kind of mind space uh, about parenting. And I find that when other people, because hey, my kid's like everybody else's, you know, my four-year-old's like everybody else's four-year-old. Sometimes he's a pain in the butt. But mm-hmm. there is something that I can find to be, amazed by or delighted by or uh, grateful for every single day. Um, And the fact that I take time to do that or that I'm able to have that kind of perspective, I think, does have something to do with age. Um, And for me, that's kind of the biggest thing that permeates um, everything that I do with him is that level of gratitude and that level of um, awareness, I think, about how wonderful it is to be able to love and care for somebody in the way that you do a child. That's beautifully said. Uh, Julia, how about you? Advantages to being um, a 52-year-old, I guess, with an 18-month-old. I think in our our late 40s, early 50s, we are in a substantially different developmental phase of life. And, and I think that the, this developmental phase really does lend itself much better to parenting than the developmental phase that we're in when our 20s. I mean, think about it. What was important to you when you were 20? For most folks, it's about finding out where you fit and what you're going to do with your life. You know, am I a Democrat? Am I a Republican? Am I going to be a you know, person that works in an office or works out in the field? You know, who are going to be my friends? How do I fit? By this point, we know that, you know, for better or for worse, I'm probably not going to write the great American novel, and I'm probably not going to be a ballerina. And I'm okay with that. Uh, Those kind of hopes and dreams and things uh, and and wondering, we've pretty well resolved by the time we're in our mid-40s. And then we're looking at different things. And, And I think that those things really lend themselves to parenting better. We're less self-focused at this stage of life. Yeah, also, you know, very well said. Kathy, I think you've listed some of the positives. Uh, If you have any others, uh, let me know. Molly, uh, I'll come back to you, Kathy. Molly, how about uh, you? Any others in addition to the ones that we've mentioned of what you perceive as advantages to being um, 45 or now I guess you're getting close to 50 with almost kindergartner? Or probably is a kindergarten. I am. 
Mm-hmm. She is a kindergartner, and I will be turning 50 in the middle of her kindergarten career. I, you know, I've mentioned quite a few already that I think we do have the ability to manage our own, ourselves a little better. We maybe don't have the same stressors that a 20-year-old person does, um, and we've we also understand how to control them a little bit better. Maybe our delivery. But to someone else's point, my gratitude for having my daughter in my life um, is immense. Being able to have her say, Mommy, makes me willing to do everything possible for her and put some of my goals that I'd had prior in the back seat. The other other thing I wanted to mention is that my parents passed away when I was very young, in that early early teens or late teens, early 20s years, and as devastating as that was and will always be, um, I think it's given me the foresight to know intrinsically what I need to prepare her for and what I need to prepare her, how I need to prepare her. She's 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 naturally an independent girl, so I think that that is terrific because I, I see her needing to have that independence at some point in her life. But for, mm-hmm. for me, it makes it makes me a better parent because I know that I may not be around to see her great-grandchildren or, or her her children, potentially. So I soak up every moment with her, and I just thoroughly enjoy her company. Uh, Kathy, anything to add to before we move on to, to the next topic? I'll say only that I share the sense of gratitude. Every time one of my kids smiles at me, it the day is it's just brightens the room. It's an amazing sensation mm-hmm. to know them, yeah. to love them. You know, one question I feel like I must ask is what we because we get this question a lot and and not necessarily in relation to whether you should be an older parent, but how hard is it to we get the question more often with adoption, but I, I think it's a relevant question to ask with both adoption and fertility treatment. Did the three of you, uh, Kathy, Molly, and Lisa, adopted, um, was it hard? Uh, Kathy, you were 45 and did an infant adoption and an, uh, a two-year-old adoption. One, I, I presume one was from foster care and one was a d- domestic infant adoption. Was it, uh, less in, in specific to the domestic infant adoption, was it harder as a 45-year-old uh, woman to adopt than did you have to wait longer? Um. Well, this is going to sound amazing, but I was it was six weeks from the time I was paperwork ready till she was home. Um, yep, that's wow. think, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Pretty astonishing. Um, and I still can't believe it now. Uh, but at the same time, I took steps to make sure that I made it easier. Um, I'm a, being single and being a little bit older. Not that not that age really shows in your profile much, and they don't really you don't you aren't required to mention it. So it's not like I was out there advertising that, but still. You, you know, it's one of those things. Um, I went with a referral service and really kind of widened the field, and I had told my supervisor that if I got a call to fly today, I was flying today, and he needed to know that. And I was matched on Thursday. She was born on Friday, and I picked her up on Tuesday. So yeah. be ready to so fly. Yeah, well, <laughs> and your flexibility, and you're, you cast a wide <laughs> net. Um 
that, Molly, what about you from foster care? Uh, Lisa, it really wasn't an issue. It's not an issue because in international adoption, there's a set age, and as long as you're below that age, it just doesn't work against you one way or the other. Uh, Molly, did you find it in any way working against you with foster care adoption? Not at all. Um, Our area doesn't appear to have that the same age limitations with foster care. Um, In fact, we continue to get calls, and we'll take we take children on a part-time basis all the time. I will tell you that that when we were looking at international adoption, we did see a lot of barriers. There were a lot of them that I was simply aging out of very quickly. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the reasons why we considered foster care as well as for a while we went, we sort of spread our net far and wide and looked across all the agencies. But even when we started looking, when we realized for fertility treatments were not going to be working or working for us. We were already aged out of several of the international adoption programs and domestic adoption programs. The difference, though, is at least in international, you know up front, they have a cutoff. It is this age. If you're below this age, it's you are accepted. If you are above this age, they may or may not. There's some that they'll tell you they'll make an exception, but generally you're not. So it's a it's a known deal, but you're right. It's uh, You may know it, but you may be aged out of it. Julia, did you find most? I will say that most clinics have no problem working with women 45 and under, and and most that I know of, you know, that that right around the 45 age don't don't have a problem. But there are definitely clinics that have issues or have rules or at least considerations for women, you know, over a certain age, and certainly women in their 50s. Um, did yeah. you find that to be an the, issue at all, or have you heard of other situations, other clinics where that has been an issue? I went through a very frightening thing um, when when the when our son was born. We immediately started thinking about do we want another because our clinic was saying um, we will not transfer into a uterus that's older than fifty. Wait, I gave birth at 50. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Or if the intended parent's combined age is more than 100. And that was just my clinic's um, own particular stance. So we were asking for exceptions and blah, 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 trying to get around that. And about that time, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine came out with a new standard that said... um, that it's perfectly fine to um, transfer an embryo into a uterus that's 55 or less. So, whew, we got a break. But still, you know, I'm creeping up on that too. Um, I'm, I'll be 52 next month. So the pressure there is there that um, women who do IVF in their 30s don't have. You know, their pressure is okay. I've got to pay five hundred bucks a year to keep my embryos stored, but mm-hmm. I got plenty of time to do something with them. If you if you do IVF later in in your reproductive life, you don't have that luxury to wait. You, mm-hmm. my sister, I was six years old when we adopted my sister, and and I think that was maybe a little too much age between me and her. Um, but I, I certainly wish I could wait until Luke was a little bit older before we considered having another. But that's mm-hmm. just not an option. Right, yeah. That's, yeah, both for your age as well as, as you point out, you're nearing the upper cutoff. 
and I will point out that not every clinic, uh, even though ASRM has that has said has made that statement, there are still clinics who have other rules, uh, similar to the one, Julia, that you you mentioned. Let me remind you about two more of our gold sponsors. It is through their support that we can bring you this show and all the resources here at Creating a Family. We have, uh, let's see, Bethany Christian Services. They are a global nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering children and families. They are committed to quality social services along the child welfare continuum. That so Those services range from pregnancy counseling, family preservation to foster care and to adoption. We also have Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They are pioneers in offering embryo donation and adoption services to clients throughout the world through their Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Program. Ladies, I thank you so much for being on this show today. If if our audience, anyone out there, has enjoyed our show, this one or others, please, if you would like to help us grow, we would certainly appreciate if you would rate this podcast on iTunes. If you have iTunes on your computer or your phone, you just type in the words Creating a Family and we pop right up. Otherwise, you can go to creatingafamily.org slash radio show, click on the iTunes button, and it will take you to the rating. It's a star rating. And we would also love it if you would give us a comment. We will take either or or. We really appreciate comments. However, again, thank you, Molly Cashman, Julia Tate, Lisa Notes-Colburn, and Kathy White for being our guest today on Creating a Family. We, I will be blogging on this topic tomorrow, so I would love to have anybody who is interested to come around, and we will continue the discussion in the comment section, so please do. And uh, thanks for joining us today, and I will see you next week. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.